Thank you, Peter. Well, good morning again, and Merry Christmas to all of you. I trust that it is, um, that you've been shopping, that you um, didn't get run over in the parking lot, uh, that you've been having a good start to the Christmas season. Um, so which one of those kids up here on the stage were you? <laughs> Did you actually turn around backwards and not face the crowd or something like that? Um, I think I might have done that a time or two. Um, we're, uh, we're getting ready to uh, jump into our, our text for today. It comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 32. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and flip over there. We're in this series called Christmas Is, and we've been tackling some of the themes that you run into around the Christmas season. Today we're going to talk about this topic of Christmas is Emmanuel. Before I get into that, I want to just encourage you that in the month of January, we're doing a series called All Men Are Created Equal. You've been hearing about that. It's in our bulletin. This is a five-week study on racism and what does the Bible have to say? How does it speak to our modern culture, to what the things that we're dealing with with race um, in our culture today. And I'll tell you, I'm so excited about it. I've been reading since about November in preparation for this and um, just looking forward to be able to um, share a lot of uh, relevant information, um, things that you probably won't hear in the media these days. Um, it is a biblical take on the subject. And so I invite you, I implore you to say, I'm going to be there every Sunday in January, starting January 6th, because I want to hear what this, what the Bible has to say to this all-important subject matter of race in our culture today. And so I invite you to come out for that. Again, our topic, though, for today is this idea of Emmanuel. And uh, we hear that in some of our Christmas carols. So we want to dig deep into what does God mean when he mentions the word Emmanuel in the Bible. So let's stand to our feet and read together from 2 Chronicles chapter 32. Let me give you just a quick bite of background here. Um, the people of Israel, uh, or actually the southern uh, kingdom, in Judah have been besieged now by the Assyrian army. The Assyrian army is uh, on approach, and so we're reading about the preparations for the coming of the Assyrian army. Second Chronicles chapter 32, let's start at verse 1. It's a chunk of scripture, so y'all hang in there with me. We'll start at verse 1. After these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem, he planned with his officers and his mighty men to stop the water of the springs that were outside the city. And they helped him. A great many people were gathered, and they stopped all the springs and the brook that flowed through the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? He set to work resolutely and built up all the wall that was broken down and raised towers upon it. And outside it he built another wall, and he strengthened the millow at the city of David. He also made weapons and shields in abundance. And he set combat commanders over the people and gathered them together to him in the square at the gate of the city and spoke encouragingly to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. You may be seated. Thank you so much. I know that was a big chunk of scripture. Um, and you say, well, that doesn't even have anything to do with Christmas. Well, just hang on, because we're coming to that here in just a little bit. But let's walk through these verses together again. Um, when we hit chapter 32, the Assyrian army, this is around 701 B.C., the Assyrian army is coming, uh, led by Sennacherib, with an intent of taking out the southern kingdom 
of Israel, that is the land of Judah with their capital city of Jerusalem. He's planning to besiege the city. And so uh, in response to that, King Hezekiah of the, of, of the people of Judah is making plans for this uh, onslaught. He's trying, to make, uh, he's trying to stop up the spring that's outside the city so that Sennacherib won't have a way to water his horses or get water for his troops. And so he's planning for all this, um, hoping not to get captured. And so in 2 Chronicles 32 and verse 6, we read, And Hezekiah set combat commanders over the people and gathered them together to him in the square at the gate of the city and spoke encouragingly to them. And then he said some words. And so we have to stop there for a second and think to ourselves, what, what, I mean, how can you, what possibly could you say to encourage a group of people who are about ready to be besieged by around 185,000 foreign troops who, by the way, have a track record of all victories and no losses. Um, and so here comes this army that's going to besiege Jerusalem. They're going to wipe out the land of Judah. At least that's their intent. What possible words of encouragement could Hezekiah share with these people in a situation like that? Well, look at what he says in verse 7. Here's his rationale. He says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed. Because of the king of Assyria and the vast horde, that big giant army that he's got that are descending upon us. Um, why? He said, because there's more with us than there are with him. Now, the city of Jerusalem in its heyday was about 100,000 people. And then you've got a bunch of people that are flocking into the city of Jerusalem trying to find protection inside of its walls. But many of those are not fighting men. And so um, basically the, by, by the numbers, um, Hezekiah is outnumbered. Uh, I don't even want to try to take a stab at it, maybe 10 to 1 or even much more than that. But he's just vastly outnumbered. And the armies that are coming to besiege him are hardened troops. I mean, these people that have been in battle before. And here he is just trying to gather some people together to be able to throw some rocks and throw some spears at these folks. The things don't look like it's really going to work out for him. But he says there's more with us than there are with him. So somehow he doesn't have his math quite right. But here's his rationale, verse 8. He says, with him, Sennacherib, is only the arm of flesh. He says, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and fight our battles. So Hezekiah basically says, hey, listen, friends, we've got power on our side, a power that is stronger, that is mightier than even the greatest army on the face of the earth and the 185,000 Assyrian troops that are getting ready to besiege us. And the people took confidence, it says, because of Hezekiah's words. He reminded them of who was on their side. It says they took confidence in his words. Friends, how did Hezekiah bring encouragement to the people of Israel when they were in the middle of this huge problem? He did it by reminding them that they were not facing that problem alone, but that they were facing it by the awesome, almighty power of God, that God was with them, that God was on their side. And just to complete the story, if you continue reading through chapter 32, you'll discover that Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem actually didn't even have to lift a finger. That during the night, angels of the Lord came and decimated the armies of the Assyrians. And, uh, and Sennacherib, the Assyrian uh, ruler, ended up tucking tail and running back to Assyria. And he never did conquer the city of Jerusalem or the people of Judah. End of the story. Um, well, that's our text for today, and so that means it's time to ask the question that we ask every week around here. What difference does all this make to my life? You say, again, Gordon, I've got a few more last-minute things I've got to do. got a few things that got to go in the oven. Um, let's go ahead, quick, hurry up, say amen, and get me out of here, because i got, I got things to get to. Um, what difference does any of this make to my life? Well, that's a really great question. Let's see if we can answer that. 
You know, in many of the Christmas songs, we hear that word Emmanuel. There's a school up the road, up toward, um, uh, up toward the lake. What's the lake up here? North of here? Hartwell, thank you. There's a school up there called Emmanuel uh, Christian College. And you see that term around. You hear people talking, read, singing about Emmanuel at Christmas season. And I appreciate y'all's help, by the way. You've done this the last couple Sundays with me. I, maybe it's a trend that's starting with my age. I'm not sure. But in any case, the word Emmanuel, what does that mean? Does anybody know what it means? I guess maybe you've been coming to church here for a little while. I don't know. That's great. Yeah, it means God with us. It means that the baby Jesus, uh, who was God in the flesh, John chapter 1 and verse 14, that the Word became flesh, that Jesus, God, became flesh and dwelt among us, that Jesus, that God became Mary's little baby. And so that's what Christmas time reminds us of, that God has come to earth in the form of Mary's little baby. Now, you say, Gordon, what, I mean, that's great to know God's with us, but again, what difference does all that make? Well, think about the difference that it made to Hezekiah. Hezekiah and the Israelites, again, they were surrounded by this massive army, 185,000 hardened troops who have all victories and no losses, and it doesn't look like things are going to work out for them, and yet they feel confident, and they feel confident because they have something that none of the other people who had been besieged had, and that is that they had the presence of God with them. And that was, the, that was the thing that made the difference, and that's what gave them confidence. Verse 8 said, With us is the Lord our God to help and to fight our battles. Listen, friends, God's presence makes a huge difference. And friends, as followers of Christ, the same thing that Hezekiah said to the Israelites is true for you and me. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. He said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Think about that. Jesus didn't say, sometimes I'll be there. He didn't say, perhaps, if I don't have something else going on, if I'm not too tied down, if I'm not tied up, if I'm not too busy, you can expect me. Jesus said, no matter what I've got going on in heaven and in running the world, never will I leave you. That's a qualifying word, isn't it? That he's always, always going to be there. Never, he said, will I forsake you especially in times that are bad, you say? Yeah, especially in times of trouble. Verse 6 then adds in Hebrews 13, it says, because Jesus said he'd never leave us or forsake us. Listen to the response. Because of that, we can confidently say, there's the same thing that the people of Israel felt, that, hey, look, because we know God's on our side, because we know God is with us, they had confidence. Now the Bible says, hey, look, because you have the Lord Jesus, you can be confident as well. We can confidently say that the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What, man, what can man possibly do to me? What can people, what can circumstances possibly do to me when I have God on my side? Friends, doesn't that sound like Hezekiah and the people of Israel? What can these Assyrians possibly do to us? This massive army out there, and yet they're not afraid. They're not despondent. They're not in despair because they knew the hope and the confidence that God's presence brings. Friends, when you are a believer, that you, because of that, you have the living, risen Christ right there with you. If he's got to pick you up and carry you through some of those difficult times, the Lord says he'll do that. Amen? Folks, this is not just a promise that God made to Hezekiah. This is a promise that Jesus makes to each and every person who believes in him. This is a promise for every person in every nation and every culture and every tribe and every language and every situation and every struggle of life. Jesus makes this promise that if you're one of his followers, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Folks, this is the solemn promise of the risen Christ 
This is the solemn promise, the continuous promise, the never-ending promise, the unceasing, unfailing, unbroken, uninterrupted promise of the living God with us. Emmanuel, God with us wherever we go. Emmanuel, God with us, whatever we're doing. Emmanuel, God with us, no matter our circumstances. Emmanuel, God with us. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. You know, I've had a lot of funerals over the last couple of weeks, and one of the scriptures that's oftentimes read at funerals is from Psalm chapter 23. See if these words are familiar to you. It says, the Lord, Psalm chapter 23 and verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. Probably finish it, right? I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down beside green or leads me through the green pastures and makes me lie down beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And then if you skip forward to verse 4, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And why? What are the words? Because you are with me. Isn't that amazing? That David says, hey, look, even if I'm going through difficult and troubled times, the thing that makes those troubled times workable, the thing that makes those troubled times doable, that gives me hope, that gives me light at the end of the tunnel, is knowing that God is with me. Now, isn't it interesting that when these fears creep up in David's life, God didn't say, David, even though when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to deliver you out of that valley. I'm going to remove the troubled times from your life. That's not what God said. God didn't promise that he was going to remove the difficulty from David, that he was going to remove the storm that David was in. David's still going to have to walk through the valley. And friends, in the original language there, it's not just talking about when we're facing death, but it's talking about just scary, difficult times of life. That's what David's walking through here. And God doesn't promise that he's going to remove those valleys. God doesn't promise that he's going to remove all the stuff that's causing uh, angst and, and anxiety and that sort of stuff in David's life, but rather what God says that he will do for us is that we're in the middle of those kind of situations that he will be with us. And that's the thing that gave David confidence. That's the thing that spoke into David's heart. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And friends, as followers of Jesus Christ, again, this is still true for us today. When it comes to facing the toughest crises in our life, it's the presence of God right there with us that makes the difference and that changes everything. This is the consistent message all through the Bible that God is with us. Um, let's just take a quick tour of the Bible. Can we do that? Of some of the places and the people that were going through difficult times and we see how God was with them. Take, for example, Moses. Moses was uh, sent off into the back, backside of the Sinai Desert. He was uh, banished out of Egypt. He was formerly a prince of Egypt, had all this power, had all this authority, uh, grew up in the, in, the, in the palaces of Egypt, and he's been banished out of Egypt into the backside of the desert. He sees this burning bush. He goes up on the mountainside to consult with God, and God tells him, Moses, I want to ask you to go do a really brave thing. I want you to go back to the land of Egypt. I want for you to demand that Pharaoh, uh, one of your palace brothers, Pharaoh release that Yul Brenner release uh, Moses uh, release the Israelites out of Egypt. Now we're talking about around four million Israelites, okay? Um, and this is this is huge to the Egyptian economy. Uh, the whole Egyptian economy kind of rests on uh, the slaves that they've got there in Egypt. And so here comes Moses coming back, who's already been banished. He's not sure what's going to happen to him when he shows his face. And God says, I want you to go back there, and I don't want you to show up, but I want you to demand that they release all these slaves uh, from bondage. And so to reassure Moses, God says to him, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 12, Moses, surely I will be 
with you. The thing that gave Moses confidence to go and do what God asked him to do. When Joshua was offered this opportunity to be Moses' successor many years later, he was facing a major war where they were going to have to go into the land of Canaan, which would later become the land of Israel, and they were going to have to overtake that land. They are going to have to drive out the people who were living in that land. And so Joseph, on the eve of this battle, the Lord says to him, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 5, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you, Joshua, nor will I forsake you. And when Isaac was feeling a little insecure and lonely in the land of Canaan after his dad had passed away, God appeared to him and said, Genesis chapter 22 and verse 24, Fear not, Isaac, for I am with you. And do you remember Jacob? He was quite a character. He was a sly, crafty guy. And he had basically jilted his older brother out of his birthright. And because of that, his older brother Esau was angry at Jacob. He wanted to kill Jacob. Jacob wasn't sure what was going to end up happening to him when he finally had this meeting with his brother. And so to give Jacob some encouragement, some confidence, God says to him, Genesis chapter 31 and verse 3, I will be with you, Emmanuel. I love the story of Gideon, the guy that God called to go and attack a huge Midianite army with just 300 men. He was going to be outnumbered something like 100 to 1. And the odds were terribly against Gideon and the people of Israel to go and have any success against this Midianite army. And so he goes and he's talking to God about it. And God says, hey, look, don't be afraid. Judges chapter 6 and verse 16, I will be with you. The difference maker. And you shall strike the Midianites. You and I together will be as one man. We'll have more on our side than they've got on their side because you've got me, God, with you. And finally, how about the Apostle Paul who had people trying to kill him at Corinth? God said to him, Acts chapter 18 and verse 9, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Why should he do this? Verse 10, for I am with you. Friends, all through the Bible, it was God's presence with his people that made the difference. Emmanuel, God with you. Friends, the point is that down through the ages, whenever a person walked the valley of the shadow of death and they were nervous, they were anxious, they were afraid, God said exactly the same thing to them that he's saying to you and me. He offered them the same solution for their fear. He said that no matter what happens in the valley, I am with you, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, as followers of Christ today, friends, this makes a big difference in our lives, namely that in the good times and in the tough times, in the times of great success as well as in the times of failure, um, that God says, hey, look, I will be with you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That we're never unguarded. We're never alone. And the story of Christmas just reaffirms what God has done all throughout Scripture with his people. You say, Gordon, I appreciate what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. But I got a question for you. Because sometimes it feels like God's not with me. Like I'm looking around at my surroundings. I'm feeling what it is that I'm going through. There's some intensity. There's some heartache that I'm experiencing. And I just got to be honest. I've asked God, God, where are you? (laughs) Right? As things are just unraveling in my life or in somebody that I care about in their life. And so, I mean, what do we say to that? How do I make sure that God is with me when my feelings and my circumstances tell me something different? Well, that's a great set question. Let me see if we can help with that. Um, when all of my, I, I taught all of my girls to ride their bike. Um, 
y'all remember riding a bike, right? Remember learning how to ride a bike? And so you had the training wheels, and then finally the training wheels come off. And the day the training wheels come off, you didn't just send your kid down the road, right? What did you have to do? You had to grab a hold of the back of that seat, and you had to run alongside them. And, you know, your back's hurting, your legs are hurting, and uh, you're out of breath. But, and, and I can remember with each of my girls, well, I'd be running down alongside the sidewalk with them, running down the street with them, running down the driveway with them, holding on to the back of that seat. And oftentimes, they would, they would do one of these. Right? They want, what are they doing? They're wanting to see if I'm, if I'm still holding on to the seat, right? Because they want to make sure. Because if I let go of that seat, they're afraid they're going to fall. And so every time they would do that, they would turn and they'd look back to see if I was holding on. And when they do that, the wheel would go this way or the wheel would go that way. And like, no, 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 don't look back. I'm here. I'm not letting go. I'm right here with you. And so see, friends, it's the same thing with our life, that sometimes we're going through stuff. Sometimes there's things that are unraveling in our life that we're like, God, I'm not sure that you're here. And God's saying to us, I know that it may not feel like it. I know that it may not seem like it, but I've made you a promise. The the God of the universe who says that he will not lie has made you a promise. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I'm still hanging on to the seat, and I'll be there with you. Um, the point is, we're just like that in our relationship with God. We're riding our little bicycle, and God says, hey, look, you don't have to worry about it. I'm right there with you. You say, Gordon, do you always get this right? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I want to look back. Many times I doubt God. Many times I'm wondering myself. I'm like, God, are you sure you're right there with me? I have to ask the question. When things are unraveling, when there are things that I'm unsure about. Um, but again, Here's the really beautiful thing, that the God who does not lie has made me that promise. And that even sometimes when I can't see him, and I'm having to keep my eyes focused because I don't want to turn and look back and get off on the side and lose the wheel, that I know that he's there with me, even in times when maybe I don't feel like it. When I'm having a tough day, Jesus is much with me in those times as he is when I know that God is with me. Friends, I'm sure that there are many here who are going through valleys of our own lives, but God's solemn promise to us is that we are not alone, just like with Moses, just like with David, just like with Gideon, just like with Isaac, just like with Paul. The Lord is with us. And so if you're going through a tough time in your life today, if you're facing a tough Christmas, picture the Lord Jesus right alongside you holding on to that seat because, friends, that's the way it really is. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for reminding us again that uh, we're not just out here doing life on our own. That when you came into the world as Mary's little baby, it wasn't the first time that you were with your people. But Lord, this has been your consistent modus operandi throughout all of human history. Lord, that you're here You're with us, your power, your might, your presence is right alongside of us. Lord, we ask that you would encourage us today because some of the truth that we heard spoken into our hearts. And Lord, as we gather around this table to be reminded of your broken body and of your shed blood, we come grateful. Grateful, Lord, that you paid the price so that we wouldn't have to. Lord, grateful that you took our sins upon your broken body on the cross, that you took the penalty of death that is ours 
and took it upon yourself. And so it is with grateful hearts that we pray this today. In Christ's holy name, amen.